And if you want, you can turn to Mark 16. I'm just going to read a simple verse. You actually, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but it's always good to be in the habit of opening up the word and reading it along with people so that you know what it says. We're going to do something a little different today, so I just want to kind of share something so you know why we're doing it. So in Mark 16, 15, it says behind me, this is Jesus talking to his disciples after his resurrection, and he says to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, all right? So that doesn't say just go preach the good news to your neighbor. Doesn't say just go preach the good news to those in Astoria or Clatsop County. This was written not just for his disciples, but we're his disciples now through our faith in him. So this is written for all of us. And it says to everyone, some of the other translations and some of the other gospels, it, it talks about going to all ends of the earth. Basically, your call is a Christian. You, the command Jesus has given every single one of us, not just some of us, is to be a part of taking the good news to your neighborhood, to Astoria, to Clatsop County, to the state of Oregon, to the other states of the United States, to all ends of the earth, the whole entire world. And there's multiple ways of doing that. We're all part of this body, and some of us get to be, well, really all of us at some point, we get to be the hands and feet where we're actually doing the work. Sometimes we're the other body parts that come alongside the hands and feet and we pray, which is critical to God being able to answer those prayers and do the work through them. Sometimes we uh, financially support those that are doing the work. Sometimes it's just through our conversations of encouraging and exhorting Sometimes, like I said, you're the one actually doing it. And that starts here first and foremost where the Lord has placed us, but it also goes to the rest of the world, the Lord opening up opportunities to do those other things, as I mentioned, sometimes going on short-term mission trips, sometimes calling you to different places. There can be a multiple different ways that the Lord does this in our lives. And we wanna be those that are always in that place of, surrender so that when the Lord does tell us what to do, we obey and listen. Again, this not being for his benefit, he could do it all without us, but it's for our benefit because as the Lord tells us where our treasure is, our heart will be also, or the things we invest in, not just financially, with our time, with our prayers, with our efforts, it knits your heart to those things, and we want our hearts to be knitted to the things of the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so what we like to do is the Lord has allowed us as a church family to be a part of uh, not only the work here in Clatsop County, but the work through all over the world. And it always surprises me because on the grand scheme of things, we're not a mega church. <laughs> I know we're bigger for around here, but we're actually small and this little church and only the Lord has used to do stuff all over this entire world for his glory. And so we're always trying to just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and what those things are that he wants us to be a part of. Sometimes you can look at the need in the world and it can be really overwhelming, but the Lord never tells you he expects you to take care of every need. He just wants you to take care of the ones that he tells you to. 
And when we're all doing our part, everything that the Lord needs, knows needs to be done gets done, and he's glorified. Amen? And whenever we get to be a part of the different things the Lord's doing, we always love to have people come back and give reports. Sometimes we have the missionaries that are serving in other places that this church supports, that you guys support. They're the hands and feet, but your guys' prayers and your financial support, uh, to like when you give, you allow them to be over there. And a lot of places, like when people go to the countries, the, the visas don't allow them to work. So that's the only way they can be there preaching the gospel. So you're very much an important part of the work the Lord's doing. So we'd love to have them come back and give us reports because it's encouraging to us. That's what we see in the word. When Paul's going on his missionary journeys and he comes back, he gives a report and the church is encouraged because they're like, wow, the Lord's doing this. And you get to see the, the firsthand results of your prayers and your financial gifts and your encouragement. So recently, a dear brother, many of us know, Brinton Salisbury got to go over to the Ukraine, a place that's really being affected by war right now. So there's a great need in many different ways. And he got to go over there in the name of Jesus to meet the needs of the people being affected by that war with the goal of being able to share the good news of the gospel with them. Just like so often we see Jesus meeting people's physical needs so that ultimately he can address the greater need, their spiritual need. Amen. So I'm going to have Brenton come up here. And he's going to share with you guys what the Lord did. And now, there it is. All right. Good morning. Dobre ranek. Slava Bo. Slava Jesus. That's good morning. Glory to God and glory to Jesus. Um, so first off, um, I'd like to pray again and just commit this time to the Lord and uh, so if you'll bow your heads with me, pray, Lord, first, pray that you would um, give us ears to hear what you would have to say. I pray, Lord, that um, just you be glorified through this time, Lord, the, the purpose and the point is not to, um, not to glorify anything that we've done or that we do, but to glorify your name. It's to make the name of Jesus famous. Lord, we want to do that. We want to be faithful to point the, the spotlight on you, and I pray that that would be the case this morning, and um, we just commit this time to you. If you take a moment to pray for me, that would be awesome, and just pray that I would faithfully share what um, the Lord would put on my heart. Amen. All right, thank you guys. I want to thank you guys also for um, your prayer support and your, um, some of you financially gave, and I thank you for that. It's really awesome to, to see how God um, works in the body and how he uses the body, all different parts, and um, especially the prayer support. Um, I really felt it over there, um, especially in the tough times when uh, I, was, I was ready to pack up and go home and uh, exhausted, and I really felt carried by your prayers. I felt the Lord was there with me because you guys are praying. And that's, it's, it just points to the faithfulness of God. Um, I forgot to really emphasize that or ask people um, to be praying for me. And, and just so many, dozens upon dozens of you uh, came to me and said, 
um, I'm going to be praying for you and reminded me that you guys were praying for me and reached out to me while I was over there. And so thank you so much for that. Um, that, that made all the difference. And so I want to just encourage you guys. Um, your prayers do matter and your prayers have an effect. Good job. <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, I have a million different things uh, that I'd like to share and I had all the intentions of having a nice outline and all the things put out, and uh, the Lord really put the kibosh on that by filling my schedule, and uh, I have very little preparation other than things that are running through my mind. So uh, we're just going like, to let the Lord um, share what he wants to share this morning, and um, that's, uh, that's how we'll go forward. So um, Marcus has some uh, slideshows um, that he's going to run through here. And so we're going to get the first one up there, give you a little, uh, a little visual of what some of the devastation looks like over there. Now, um, this is, some of this is from uh, up by Kiev, uh, very close to where we were staying up there. And other is down south. Um, so the whole country does not look like this. If you think um, what Ukraine looks like right now, um, these, are, these are small areas that are affected that actually have um, had conflict happen there. Um, the country is very large. And so this is not everywhere. Um, most of the cities are are untouched or very, or like there's minimal damage in them. And most of the country's uh, moving along with daily life. So even up close to the front lines, we would see farmers just still farming out there with their tractors or people out there in their gardens. Um, they got to eat, they got to work. And so most of the country's just moving on with that. So if that's kind of give you guys a sense of what it's like to be there, um, most people are just continuing on with, with uh, their lives. Okay, um, next slide, if you will. So I'll give, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a, um, oh, let's see, actually, actually, I'd like to start with um, a little bit more of like why, why I went, why we go, and what our objectives were, what we were trying to accomplish. So first up, um, the mission is sort of more of, or at least my mission was going to be more of a support. Um, our friend uh, Tyler Riles, who used to go here, uh, his whole family's over there now. And uh, so we got to um, go and support them in their mission. They're working with a Jesus mission. And so we used to have the band A New Divide come here with Andy Ziesmer. And um, that mission organization is... Uh, operating in much of Eastern Europe and actually a lot of different countries. And Tyler's their uh, main guy in Ukraine. So I was going to really just support what they're doing. And they've got uh, many different avenues by which they do ministry. Um, one is the medical missions or medical training. So we'll do... Uh, like combat medical training and life-saving medical training uh, to soldiers, policemen, youth groups, church groups. It really doesn't matter wherever we 
have an opportunity, we'll go in and we will um, do a day or half day of medical training and show people how to um, use life-saving uh, techniques, tourniquets, and uh, stop massive bleeding, this kind of stuff that um, does save lives. And throughout the whole um, process, like we get to share the gospel with um, people. So to give them not just life-saving techniques, but actually soul-saving techniques, and really present people with um, the hope of the gospel. And especially um, here we've got um, soldiers who are probably going to be heading off to the front line soon. And some of them have very little medical training. And so we get to either reiterate or, for the first time, give them um, training in, uh, in combat medical procedures. So very effective. Um, one of the really cool things, too, about um, being over there is the, the people that you get to meet. Um, there are some amazing individuals that God is, has called into that country right now um, that are answering his call and are just really awesome to work with. One of the individuals in the center and the um, handing out audio Bibles, standing up there with a bald head, that's Valerio, and he's from Moldova and is a uh, chaplain. And the Lord radically saved him. And so now he's out, used to be a soldier himself in special forces, and now is um, sharing with soldiers the, the gospel. And so he went with us and would give the final presentation at the end of, of the training and get to share the gospel with all the guys and hand out audio Bibles. And the response was amazing. I mean, uh, you can see the guys raising their hands. Um, I would say 98% of the guys would, would receive an audio Bible. And so um, that's pretty cool. And many received the Lord as well. And um, in our next slide, we get to see one guy uh, wanted to be baptized. And so we got to do that. We didn't exactly have the uh, requisite uh, dunk tank or river or anything like that close by. So uh, we filled up a bucket and baptized him in the name of the Lord. So that was pretty awesome. And, um, and also just there's a, um, the general feeling in Ukraine or the general um, religious attitude is most people are orthodox and the gospel is, is seldom preached. And so um, people don't really know what the Bible says. They don't really know what um, the gospel means. They don't know that Jesus died for their sins. They don't know how they can have peace with God. They don't know where they're going when they die. And so um, for many of them, it's the first time they're hearing the gospel. And so uh, what a great opportunity for us to be able to share with them. Um, next slide. Okay, well, so um, let's see. I was going to... I apologize for the rambling. I'm trying to uh, pull it all together and actually like go from A to B, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, so yeah, the support, um, support role. So going over there, um, I've got a bit of a disadvantage. I don't speak Ukrainian, and um, so I can't really communicate with everybody. Um, so a lot of the times I would be 
um, they're doing work that supported those who were able to preach the gospel, like with the medical missions. I wasn't uh, giving the, um, the training. I wasn't giving the final presentations, but I was doing all the, the legwork around so that those who were preaching the gospel could preach the gospel. And I just want to give a little shout out, you know, to those who do the supporting work even here, you know, got Stephen and Marcus in the back and guys who are doing the behind the scenes stuff. Um, all of that's necessary. All of that's helpful. All of that gives the opportunity so that Chris can stand up here and, and teach and preach. And so, um, man, sometimes we're called to do supporting role stuff where you don't get to be the one up front and you just get to support the guys who do. And, and that's, that's good and valuable, you know, and that's God glorifying. And um, really a whole lot of like what we were doing over there and, and our teams, our missions, were really supporting the church in what they were doing in Ukraine. So there is an evangelical church in Ukraine and that church, uh, before the war especially, was very fragmented, was very suspicious of each other. There wasn't a lot of working together. There wasn't a lot of unity. There wasn't a lot of um, um, together for the, for the gospel. And uh, this war really has brought the evangelical church in Ukraine together. And um, there is a lot more unity now. And um, we got to work with I don't know, uh, a dozen different churches in different places. And what we were doing was really trying to support them in, in reaching their communities with the gospel, whether that was through the medical um, training, whether that was um, through food distribution, water distribution, service projects, like all of that stuff, or even just supporting the church, like being there, um, sharing music, um, helping with kids' programs, starting an English club, um, working with individuals that they sort of um, had connections with that were um, maybe on the fence about the gospel or um, resistant to the gospel, that they had a, a friendship or a relative or something like that that we'd just sort of um, invite in or have come along with us. Um, all these ways that we would... Um, use what we were doing to further the gospel or to open a door for the gospel to be preached. So um, one such opportunity was um, our contact down in the south. Uh, his name is Pastor Dennis. He's a, a chaplain as well as a carpenter, as well as um, a pastor, and about five other titles that he uh, does all kinds of stuff. So um, we'd have a local contact, and they would usually have things for us to do or people for us to, to reach out to. And so then we would um, make those contacts and set up whatever support we, we could do. So in this case, um, Dennis had a um, babusha that had gotten her um, house shelled. So you can see in the picture in the center um, on the right and the top, her house uh, got hit in front with a artillery shell, and it pretty much blew the whole front of her house in. And fortunately, she was sleeping in the back room. I think this particular grandma was about 92 years old and had lived there most of her life. 
And so we got to go in and at least tarp her house and uh, spent several days um, working on that with uh, <laughs> primitive tools and uh, trying to scavenge things that we found laying around and borrowing neighbors' ladders and whatever we could find uh, to help just get her, her house um, sealed up so that rain wasn't coming in and she actually uh, had something covering her windows and such. Um, so she was very grateful, a dear, a dear lady. And um, so that's one such project. And uh, also introduce to you one of our team members here. This is Andre. Um, he's our Ukrainian contact that uh, is part of our team. He would translate for us and uh, sort of be our cultural advisor. That was his official title. And uh, some of our other team members over on the, um, on the right there. So we would have people come in for sometimes as short as two weeks. Sometimes people would come in for several months. Um, so the team was always in flux. We had people coming in, people leaving. And so that was always a, a challenge to get people up to date and people uh, up to speed um, with training and um, get them squared away, get them used to like operating in the country and how to get what they need and, and just daily life stuff. And then also transitioning and saying goodbye and having people um, head out. So we had between probably down to like four or five team members uh, and up to, I think, 11 or 12, uh, not including the uh, staff that's there. So there's, there were three families that were, um, were originally there. And so that could be in the team house up to 25 people or more. So uh, you can imagine we needed a, a larger house. So a little, um, a little timeline as well. So I was there for three months, just over three months. Um, the first month was spent in Kiev, and we did operations out of there. That's where the team house was. And then uh, we moved our operation about a month later down to Zaporizhia, which is about 25 miles from the front. So that means you're just outside of artillery range, but um, not so far from drones and uh, missile strikes. Um, so Zaporizhia is a, a city of about 700,000 people, so by no means a small city. And uh, just north of us, about an hour away, is Dnipro, and that is a city of a million people. And so these are, are pretty good-sized um, population centers. And all around the countryside, it's fairly flat, um, rolling hills, um, farmland, and small villages. And so that sort of uh, gives you a picture of the, the landscape and the Dnipro River running through that. So about, um, for the first month, we had done medical missions. Um, we were doing the training. We did a few food, food distribution service projects. Um, that, that's pretty much mostly what we were doing then. And then we moved our operation down to Zaporizhia. The rest of the team and the families were gonna find a house down there afterwards. So, um, we set up camp in a, in a church. We're living out of, out of a, sort of more of their community center location. 
This church has uh, four or five locations um, in and around Zaporizhia. So sort of more of like a, uh, a loose or a connection of churches and, um, and church plants. So, and that's Pastor Dennis's um, church that he, he works with. So uh, let's see, a month in, we moved the operation down there. So most of the team members moved down there and we spent a week in the church and, and decided we needed to move into uh, a different location. Dennis had a house uh, that's connected to their family plot. And so I think the next slide is, is showing more of the uh, um, daily life stuff. Nope, this is uh, the first month um, doing uh, food distribution in the south down in Mikolaev. There we go. Okay, so um, part of... Uh, or close to Dennis's house on his family's property is this house to the, um, um, on the, the top right. And the bottom two are inside. So that's where we had our base of operation for the next month, no, two months. Um, so that's where I lived for the rest of the time. And along with up to 13 people in that house, two bedrooms, one bathroom, no kitchen sink, no AC, and uh, so yeah, you can imagine it was a bit of cramped quarters, and uh, six guys in one bedroom, uh, two bunk beds, and a couple cots, um, pal uh, um, furniture we made out of pallets and whatever we could find, and um, yeah, it was, it was camping inside uh, with a bunch of stinky people. Um, <laughs> So you can imagine just the challenges that come just with trying to operate um, your, your, your regular life, just the keeping stuff clean, making food, um, not bumping into each other and getting on each other's nerves. Um, it's a bit of a trial just, just with that. Um, so a week after we moved in... Um, we changed up, there was people coming and going, we changed up um, who was going to be team lead, and Tyler and the other, other leader, Christian, asked if I would become team lead, because uh, there was kind of nobody else. So, and I was going to be, I had been there the whole time before, and I was going to be there um, for a while after that. So they said, no worries, we're going to find a house within a week, two weeks, and we'll be down here, and we'll take this off your plate. You're, we're only asking you to do this for this short amount of time. It's just to, just to get us by. Two months later, I was still team lead. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, that was a trial for me. And so one of the, um, I think, hardest things of being over there was having the responsibility to be looking after uh, 11 um, adults, <laughs> and um, it's not easy to take care of adults. I don't know if you've tried this before, but <laughs> they're all independent and stuff, you know, and uh, a lot of times you have strong personalities that come over, you know, that are willing to go out and to do missions like this, right? So um, it's not always uh, easy people to direct and organize and there was a range from older people down to 18-year-olds. Um, so we had a mix, and um, not everybody's as mature as, 
as each other. Not everybody's as used to doing household chores as each other. So um, keeping all that running, uh, organizing uh, our, uh, our, our trips, our food distribution, um, keeping our cars mechanically functional, um, keeping safety in mind, looking after the spiritual needs of these people, um, ha- making sure devos are happening and prayer and worship, and that we're keeping a, the right mindset, that we're, we're there to serve the Lord and to serve people, and dealing with challenging personalities. And as a challenging personality, I you know have to do that too. And so finding that, uh, oh, I have some pride too, you know, and I have some selfishness too, you know, and um, that was just a really growing uh, period of time. It was, it was stretching. It was not comfortable. And I think uh, that's a lot of why the Lord uh, put me in that position, because it was not fun. And um, oh, let's see. So the training, moving down, we were doing mostly food distribution while we got down there. So what that would look like is, and you know, I'll, I'll say, is there something else I wanted to say from this? Well, so you see um, in our um, slide on the bottom, we've got um, everybody around at night, and um, Dennis is there with his daughter, Milana, and uh, just stopped in. He heard worship music going from the house, and uh, we were just having a worship night, and it was really cool because... Sometimes, you know, talk about that supporting role. Um, Dennis is one of those guys who's just going uh, a million miles a minute. He's got about 50 different projects on the back burner, and it's, it's just sort of like organized chaos. And um, so, you know, when he slows down and, and, and comes in and, and finds, you know, just a worship time going and, and participates with that, um, like part of our job was also to minister to Dennis right, and encourage him in the work that he's called to, and to hopefully take some of those things off of his plate, and, and maybe uh, actually implement some of his, his plans and, and ideas. Um, so it was cool, because after that particular night, he said, you know, I don't know the last time I just had a worship night for the sake of having a worship night, you know, just stop to worship, because he's always got something he's got to do. He's got about four different Bible studies he teaches a week. I mean, so he's the one who's having to do the things, right? And to just be able to sit back and to just take it in, um, it was cool. So those were some of the the moments that we were like, that's really um, why we're here. Um, In the bottom side, Tyler's given a Devo for the team. And um, there's a, a bowl of soup that we were given and some compote, bread and um, vegetables from the garden. So uh, Ukrainian hospitality is amazing. I mean, if you show up to any house um, and did anything for them, they would like, and you stayed there long enough, they would try to feed you and then try to send you home with piles of food, uh, which sometimes happened, um, which was both amazing but also kind of humbling because you're there to serve and you're there to bless and they just want to give you something. And that's, it's, it's pretty cool. 
Okay, we can go to the next slide here. Oh, did you? Yes. Yes, so food distribution and water distribution. So we started with, um, I was going to go into what that looks like. So a lot of the food that we got was through Samaritan's Purse. They're still pretty active over there and have um, brought a lot of aid to the country. And so um, we would order a truck and um, get it, a semi brought down to Zaporizhia where we had to unload by hand um, 20-some tons of food. And it had to go person to person into the church, get stacked, hopefully without breaking it with the cheap packaging. And you've got noodles or buckwheat all over the place. And organize it. And then the next day, probably, because you're busy and, and tired, you know, you can't do all of it in one day usually. But we would then do um, food packing. I think... There's another slide, Marcus, that shows that um, organizing and packing of the food. There we go. So um, in the church, uh, we'd store the food, divide it up. Um, half of it, usually the church had for their own distribution, and half of it we would have for our distribution. And um, so then we would have to make all of the, that bulk food into individual bags that we could actually give um, all the different things included to um, villagers or people that we would actually like get out to um, to distribute the food to. So um, I think also someone was asking like, what, why do people need um, why do people need this food? Like, what's the what's the point, or why why is it necessary? And um, I tried to explain the situation like this. Um, there's a a danger zone from the front line that is probably about 15 to 20 miles where artillery is being shot back and forth. Um, then there's another 50 to 75 miles where drones are active. And then you have pretty much the whole country is reachable by missile. So if you're a, a commercial enterprise and you're being asked to deliver you know, regular stuff to a grocery store, um, and that's within that 15 miles or 20 miles of the front line, you may not be wanting to operate there. So there's a whole lot of places where um, food is not being brought in regularly or just regular um, supplies of what people need. And a lot of the people who are left in these areas don't have the option of leaving. They're either shut-ins, they're older, they're poor, they don't have a place to go. Um, so there, there's not really the option of just up and going out. And also, if you're 80 some years old or, or, or older, um, you're not as likely to want to just up and leave the, the home you've been born in and lived in your whole life. And so there's that sense of like, no, this is where I live. And like, why would I leave? Um, especially with, um, you know, people who are more connected to the land. Maybe they've had that land. We came across people who have lived on the same plot for their families, had it for 500 years. So you can imagine the, the connection that people feel to their place, right? And so um, we're reaching these people 
that um, no one else wants to go to. And we're trying to especially find those places that um, we're not being reached by other, other big groups. So a lot of the food distribution that's happening in Ukraine happens in the cities. Uh, it happens where it's easy to get to, where you can drive a semi and just unload. Um, but we're trying to get those places that you have to individually take it to. Uh, maybe you're reaching that one shut-in and um, trying to get them what they need and to share the love of God with them. So uh, that's a bit of the idea. And we had to individually pack all those bags now into vans and then make a convoy out to uh, the village or, or spot that we're going to. All right, next slide there, Marcus. All right, so then um, sometime in June, I want to say it was like June 17th, uh, there's a dam on the Dnieper River that got um, damaged and started to um, let the water out. So it went from um, where we were, you could see uh, just a few rocks in the river. And then in a few days, it went down to where you could almost see all the way across the river. So all that water went out. Downstream, there's uh, the intakes where people would be um, getting their water for water uh, purification in the water treatment centers. Now all their intakes are above ground. And so there's large areas along the river that did not have drinking water. So we immediately switched from doing food distribution to focusing on getting water to those places. And so um, you can see here, we're uh, on the bottom right, we're moving uh, bottles. That was the fastest thing in the top uh, left. Um, we could just get those, but it became very apparent that that was pretty cost, um, costly and ineffective uh, as far as that goes. So we were able to procure some large um, one-ton tanks, fill those up, and then most people have bottles or we could give them bottles. We would then drive out to the villages and then just fill up containers. One, one spot, I remember we uh, pulled in and we literally filled up pails and buckets and dumped them into someone's cistern and just filled that cistern so then they could then get water out later. Um, very time consuming and, uh, and labor intensive. Um, so, some, so it really changed and we had to be very flexible Things would, uh, situation would change on the ground uh, rapidly. Sometimes we would think we were going to one spot and uh, we couldn't get there. So uh, wouldn't be allowed past checkpoints. Uh, sometimes we would go through seven, eight checkpoints a day um, just to get to the places we were, we we're trying to go to. So checkpoints were a very normal thing uh, over there. And I think being American actually made it easier to get through those but sometimes we weren't allowed and we got turned around. And so you really had to um, trust that uh, God's providence is over your day. And so there's a very um, real sense of putting yourself in the Lord's hands and putting your time and your, your plan, um, yielding it up to the Lord because you don't have control over um, necessarily what you're gonna be doing and what you're allowed to do. And 
so you just have to go with the flow. And so we, we had a saying amongst ourselves is, God's time, God's time, God's plan. And uh, oftentimes it was different than our plan. And so, uh, you know, if I can, can encourage you guys, um, <laughs> you may not be in a war zone here, but uh, it's still God's time and God's plan. And um, you can trust that. And that's something that we can fall back on and have a, a peace and a rest and, and not get bent out of shape over stuff that's not going to matter in five years, in five minutes maybe. And um, so that was a, a, a very real reminder all the time about how our days and our moments are really in the Lord's hands. So a lot of these also were just... Uh, what would you call them, um, like water drops. So we would have a church that would be doing the distribution. So again, back to that supporting role, we're not necessarily giving it into the hands of the people who need it, but we're giving it into the hands of the church that's going to then distribute it to their community. There was a, a memorable church that I wanted to mention in this town of Marinettes. It's really close to that nuclear plant, so it's just right across the river. And... Um, that was all uh, kind of eerie to go to, where you're just like, oh, huh, I can see the, uh, see the cooling towers right there. That's very nice. <laughs> and um, this town gets shelled uh, every day. Every night and every morning, they usually get incoming shells from across the river. And it's probably a town of uh, 50 to 80,000 people. But there's this church there that uh, we went to four or five different times to bring them um, stuff, food and water for distribution. And it was really cool. They, um, so they've got a couple of um, trailer, mobile trailer kitchens, right? And so they do um, big pots of soup and big, big pots of food, and they just drive it around to these, these areas in their town that need it. And they do food distribution, hot meals, um, I think it was like th two, three times a week. And then they have a bread ministry where two times a week they bake tons of bread and then just distribute that bread. So we got to supply some of those things that they get to give out into their communities. And also the, the like, perception of the evangelical church there um, has been very cold. Um, the evangelical church has been seen as, as fringe, as sort of a, a weird group. And so, like, people didn't want to associate with them. People didn't want to, like, you know, um, listen to them because they were, they were not the, the state church. They were not a, a recognized church. And this is a lot of Eastern Europe, actually. And um, so one of the really cool things about how God is using the church in this conflict and war is that the doors are opening wide because um, the church is responding, you know? The church is active. The church is um, doing a lot of the aid. They're, they're um, the ones organizing a lot of the response, you know, to help regular citizens and... Um, so that's really changed the, the perception that the church has had. And so there's an open door for the gospel then uh, that they, they have now. So that's been really cool to watch, um, that 
sort of turning around. And so we get to be a part of that. All right. You got that next slide there, Marcus. All right, so more of the food distribution. Here's some, um, some of the people we got to, to go to out in the villages. Um, we also had uh, Gospel of John's and Bibles that we were able to give out sometimes. And so we definitely tried to have those on hand especially and um, to offer those. So a typical food distribution would be uh, we, we'd have this contact we set up set up a time that we, we can get there. We find out how many bags of food they need. We then plan it and, and decide um, when we can go. And we show up, hopefully at the time we say we will be there. And usually there'd be people waiting, um, like this group um, down here on the, the bottom left. And then we would unload um, food and if Andre or one of our interpreters was with us, they got to either interpret something that we would say um, and share with people, maybe a, a short gospel message or a short Bible verse, or pray for people. And, um, and then we would pray for them and then uh, give out the food. And so, um, and if we could, uh, stick around, talk to people for a little bit and, and just connect with people and have further conversations. So when that was uh, possible or, or safe to do so, uh, we tried to do that and, and or give out Bibles when, um, when someone uh, didn't have one. Um, yeah, uh, next slide there, Marcus. So another service project, one of those uh, ideas that Dennis had was uh, one of the churches had a basement um, and they wanted to turn it into a youth room. But as you can see from the top uh, left, it was a bit of a mess and a lot of concrete and brick. And so we just spent two full days down in that dusty basement, uh, sweating it up and just smashing stuff and leveling it out. And uh, fortunately, nobody got hurt, but there was some uh, very heavy concrete slabs that we had to work with and try to, uh, to level out. So. Praise the Lord, we did that and uh, got them hopefully one, one step closer to um, having usable space down there. Um, but that was just one idea or one uh, example of a service project that we got to be a part of. Um, there's so many random things. If I could, I could spend a long time trying to like tell about all these different opportunities that would come up. A lot of the opportunities didn't even happen, but we were, at, we were called upon to do some, um, some pretty gnarly stuff sometimes. Um, there was a, uh, a week where we were being asked, could we take a couple of vans and go down towards the front line? Soldiers would take our vans and drive them across the line to pick up um, bodies of fallen soldiers so that we could take them back to the city and to their loved ones. Um, not exactly a fun mission to be assigned, but we're there to serve, and we're there to do whatever we can to, um, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we we're like, well, we think this is what the Lord would have us do. And so, yes, we're willing to do that. Yes, we're willing to put bodies in our vans and stink them up and, and drive hours um, with that 
and probably not be able to use the vehicles for several days afterwards. Um, and so you're, you're mentally preparing for those kind of things and, and you know, just trying to, to work with your contacts and then for it all to just, for it not to happen, you know. So that would happen a lot. You'd be, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And we'd be, we'd be planning and preparing and trying to like get what we needed for whatever the mission was and then it would all just come to nothing. Um, so there's some of that like frustration, you know, that you had to be prepared for whatever project you were on to just all of a sudden stop or all of a sudden you'd have to change gears and, and run over and do something else. Um, or after the, the dams broke, we thought we were going to be um, helping out with the evacuation. So we rushed down all of our vehicles, we got them down to um, Mikolaev, and we're waiting for the call so we can go and start picking up people and getting them out of the flood zone. And all for nothing. And so, you know, okay, well, six hours, seven hours of driving. Uh, I guess we're going to drive home now, you know? Um, so there's a lot of that, um, a lot of that sort of mindset, right, that you, you have to be prepared for and, and still be willing to just do it and just go, okay, well, Lord, what do you have for us today? And, um, and then just do that thing. I think there's one more slide. So another aspect of, of the ministry was um, supporting the church. So you see a, a church service down here on the bottom right. And we would um, go to Dennis's church and be a part of that. And you can't understand most of it, but uh, once in a while someone would sit by us and do some on-the-fly interpretation and you would get a general sense of the sermon. Um, but I also helped out with the kids' class, did music and games, um, and that was a lot of fun. We had opportunities to do some uh, kids' programs uh, d down closer to the front and got to be involved with um, some of those and use our kids' camp and kids' uh, class songs, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, one of our uh, Bible studies during the week that we'd try to go to with Dennis and support him in that was in the top left there. That's over in uh, Nova Mikolaevka. And we went there probably four or five times, maybe, maybe six. I don't remember exactly. But um, he's over there doing a church plant. It's just a Bible study at this point with, um, I don't know, 15 to 20-some um, mostly older people. And he's just there faithfully teaching them the word and praying for them and trying to establish a, a church there in that town. So um, we were there to just support him in that. And um, also the two young guys up with me in the top right are some of the youth uh, kids. One of them is Daniel and the other is Artyom. And they would go out with us on a lot of the food distributions. They wanted to be... Um, they're in the mix, and sometimes they would help interpret what they could. Um, but they were a, lot, a joy to be around, and um, we, we were also pouring into them and um, discipling them and just um, being, being there uh, with them, giving them something to do. Um, school's not exactly um, 
working like, like it used to uh, in the middle of war. And so uh, they have a lot of free time on their hands. So a lot of these, um, a lot of these high schoolers are just there serving with the church, whatever they can. So that's pretty cool. And uh, we made some good friends with them and hopefully uh, keep those um, relationships going. I think is that uh, the last slide there, Marcus? So um, there's a verse I wanted to share. And this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so I don't know uh, if you're called to go to Ukraine or to go next door, but um, God has a good work for you to be involved with. Um, and it is a joy to do that work. Um, I'll tell you from firsthand experience. This is maybe not so much of a, uh, a preaching or a teaching, but a more of a testimonial, and some of the lessons, though, along the way, um, I want to encourage you guys. Uh, it was not easy to go over there. It wasn't easy, easy to decide to go over there, um, and it wasn't always fun to be there, but there was joy in it, and it was definitely worthwhile, and God has good things for you to be involved with, and it may not be halfway across the world. It might be just right here. And there's opportunities that we can do and we have to further the gospel or to create an opening, you know, for the gospel to be shared. But it's not just sharing it, right? It's like we're also displaying the gospel, right? We're showing people what the gospel looks like when, when God changes your heart and when God changes who you are and makes you more like him. Right? And that, that light shines. And so hopefully we're not just telling people something, but we're also showing them something. Right? And those two have to go together. And so I encourage you guys, you know, like um, we have a mission field here in Clatsop County. We have people that um, God has put specifically in our lives to reach. And so... Um, I just encourage you, be open to let the Lord use you how he would have you um, be used to further his kingdom through your life and through your context and the places God put you to be. That's not an accident. And you may have plans, <laughs> um, but God has plans too. And um, your plans may come to nothing. And I encourage you, don't be discouraged but just ask, okay, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. What, what do you want me to do now? What's the open door? And um, you can spend a lot of time banging on, on closed doors, and we did too. And uh, a lot of those things never happened. And so you have to just surrender to the Lord who, who it, it says in Revelations that he opens doors that no man sh can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open. He's the one who does that. And so I commit you guys to him and um, pray that you would be um, open to what the Lord would do through you guys. Amen. Yeah, let's give uh, Brenton a round of applause. Thank you for sharing with us. 
I'm going to have uh, Beth and the worship team come up here. Thanks, bro. Yeah. I just want to, there was something that kept coming up in what he was saying that I just want to kind of leave you guys with because uh, I don't know about you, like he did a great job of just kind of explaining, you know, like, you know, what the Lord did just with their willingness to be available and how that personally the Lord ministered to him and did work, and then how the Lord did work through those that were serving over there and enabled the gospel to, to be shared with people. But you can walk away and go like, okay, that's, that's great, but how do I figure out what the Lord wants me to do? I don't know about you. That can be the hard thing in our lives. And one of the things he kept saying, though, was like the need was there. I mean, and, and they didn't even know necessarily. I mean, they're there to serve the Lord, but they're like, what do we do? It was just that being available and being willing. And then the Lord brought the opportunity. And that's what I've learned in following Jesus for like 23 years now is, is that, you know, we can get really focused on the like, well, I, you know, what do I need to make happen? What do I need to do? And, and the Lord just says, just be willing. And just be available, and I'll bring you what I want you to do. And there's a great passage in Isaiah 6. I'm going to try to read this. I don't have my head mic on. This is hard. Uh, all right. This is starting in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who was called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So Isaiah, a whole lot of imagery happening here. Like Isaiah gets this vision of heaven and he's just awestruck by the glory of God. And in the presence of the glory of God, he realizes, man, I have no business being here in the presence of God. I am a sinner. I, you know, I, I should just be dead in the presence of God. And yet God shows his grace. He shows his forgiveness, right? There's this beautiful picture of the forgiveness of sins that ultimately would come through faith in Jesus Christ, Right? And this is his response to like experiencing God's love, experiencing God's grace, experiencing God's awesomeness. He says in verse eight, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And it goes on and on. But in essence, his response to God, being in God's glory and experiencing God's love and, and experiencing God's forgiveness is this heart of, I'll do whatever you want, Lord. I'm here. I'm available. I'm surrendered. And then God responds by saying, cool. I want you to actually stay put and keep ministering to the people that aren't listening to you because they need to hear it still. 
Just be faithful right where I have you. Now, a couple things I want you to take away from that. Again, just that heart of availability. What I've learned is you don't have to go looking for opportunities to serve the Lord. He will bring them to you. Case in point, at the beginning of the year, the Lord, uh, there was an email that went out to all bunch of different pastors. I'm on this email chain in the county. And they, there was a retirement home that was opening back up just now after COVID. They weren't allowing anyone to go in there and visit these people that by very definition are not able to go to church anymore. And they said, hey, are there some pastors willing to come in and share the word of God with these people that can't come to church? And my response was, absolutely, here, here I am, Lord, send me. And so I'm on this rotation. So later today, I'm gonna go, Britton's actually gonna go with me. He's gonna lead worship and we're gonna share the word of God with people in this community that are unable to come and hear it taught here. There's opportunities like that all over this community. Just a couple months ago, the opportunity came up for me with a pastor friend in the UK. He said, hey, I'm gonna be out of town in another country teaching at my daughter's church for a couple weeks in the Netherlands. And I was wondering, would you be willing to come here and fill in for me? Now that's obviously a lot bigger of a trip to go you know, and clear another country and, and, and serve the Lord there. But it was something I was like, okay, well, I'm open to it. Let's just, we'll pray. We'll see if it works out. It's always hard to get away and stuff. But as it became, as we, as the dates became clearer, it became evident in the time that I could get away for a couple of weeks. I prayed that the Lord would open up the door that I could bring my whole family. There happens to be a, a culinary school in London that Samuel's considered going to because he's going to graduate next year. And so the Lord miraculously, through a family member, just felt led to donate, donated money so that we could take all our kids with us and basically just open the door. But I didn't have to go looking for that. It was just making myself surrendered and available. And really, if we can just focus on that part, if we can respond to God Again, like, like Paul tells us in Romans 12, to surrender our lives as a living sacrifice. Lord, I'm yours, just like Isaiah. In response to God and what he's done for you, you just live your life surrendered. I guarantee you're gonna have opportunity after opportunity to serve him so that you can see his glory. You can see what Britain saw on this trip and he can do the work he wants to do and through you. And then the other part of that, that passage in Isaiah 6 that I think is important is that make sure that, that that surrender to God isn't conditional. And what I mean by that is sometimes we're like, okay, I'll do this, but I'm not gonna go to some country that's under war right now, or I'm not gonna do this. And we, in a sense, don't even give the chance to the Lord to tell us what to do because we've already kind of dulled ourselves to like, well, I'll do this for you, but I won't do this. I mean, obviously what he told Isaiah probably wasn't the first thing that he thought of. What, stay here? Keep talking to the people that don't wanna hear what I have to say about you? But if we're truly surrendered, we're gonna, we don't get to tell God. We're the servants, right? We don't get to tell him what we do. We just go and say, all right, I'm here, Lord. Send me whatever you want, even if I don't understand it, because I can trust you that you know better than me what's good for me. And that's the key. If we really believe that, then we'll listen even if we don't understand it. And here's the thing. He, will, oh, he always knows better than you do what's good for you. What's gonna be the best thing to teach you, the lessons he wants to teach you, the greatest way he can use you? And even if it's somewhere that might look dangerous, I heard people say, well, why is Brenton going there? That's a dangerous place. 
Maybe in our perspective, but here's the thing I've learned, there's no safer place to be than where God wants you to be. And even if he wants to take your life, that's a step up for us. <laughs> you know, as we learned in Romans, that's not a, a hindrance in itself to not do the work of the Lord, amen? But we don't wanna put conditions. Even we do that inadvertently sometimes. We just live your life Surrender with open hands, not clinging to anything, and let God lead you into his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen? So as we sing this last song, I don't know what that means for you, but the Holy Spirit might be ministering to you right now. Maybe there are things that the Lord has for you that you just need to listen to what he's telling you and obey. Maybe there's conditions you didn't even know. Oh, oh I do this if it looked like this, but I'm not gonna do it if it looks like that. And the Lord's just like wants to show that to you and go like, hey, are, are you really gonna do what I want? Or are you only gonna do it if it's what you wanna do? And again, this isn't for his benefit, it's for yours because he knows you're gonna, you're gonna be most satisfied in that place and he's gonna be most glorified. And he's like, just trust me and you'll get to see, amen? So let's just spend this time and let the Lord minister us. Maybe some of us leave here with just this, a clear opportunity, a clear direction we've been missing and the Lord's like, I want you to do this, amen? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're so thankful we have you to lead us. We're so thankful for answering all our prayers with Britton and just taking care of him and, and doing such a mighty work through him, Lord. And thank you for bringing him back further conformed to the image of your son, just the work you did in him. And reminding us that the, the, the prayers, the, the financial gifts, the encouragement, it, didn't, it wasn't wasted. Even in that verse he read that, Everything we did for you, it's never in vain. You use it all. And, we, and, and that's one of the reasons why we don't wanna waste our time with doing things that we think are good or the things we wanna do because those things can be in vain. But the stuff you have for us is never in vain. We never waste it. it it's, it's of eternal value. We'll be reaping the rewards for all eternity with you. So those are the things we want to do. And we admit that sometimes we just miss completely what it is you want. Often our own fault, Lord, and we don't wanna be in that place. We want you to help us, lead us, guide us, help us trust you where we have difficulty trusting and just allow us to live in that place of surrender. We have absolutely every reason to trust you in anything you ask. In Jesus' name, amen.